Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money and would encourage you to share your favorite show with at least two friends. Remember, sharing is caring. Welcome to yet another episode of Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where I, myself, Ben Carter, am joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Malcolm Etheridge. What's going on, Malcolm? Not too much, man. Uh, another day, another dollar. Indeed, as they say, uh, as we always do, you know, I'm outraged and annoyed and appalled by something that I just realized and learned like a couple minutes ago. That's well, saying a, a lot because you don't get upset very often. <laughs> it's more just like we are walking towards a certain future world that looks like one of those worlds in those movies we were presented a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Amazon has facial recognition technology and they are apparently selling it to government and law enforcement bodies. Um, <laughs> and like one of the like civil liberties organizations that fights for like, you know, American civil liberties. Like ACLU? Yeah, something like that. It was another one. Um, came out and like basically said Amazon you need to stop number one selling this to you know oh, good luck <laughs> Amazon what to do stop selling Amazon right um, but more than just like them selling the fa uh, facial recognition stuff mm -hmm. I was like thinking about the minority report the movie with is that Tom Cruise right where he's okay. like doing the I was thinking Matt Damon until you said Tom Cruise okay. but regardless <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Tom Cruise and they have what's called the um I can't remember what they called the people that could see into the future that knew what crime you were about to commit mm -hmm. and that's like the whole premise of the movie but in the movie Tom Cruise is walking through like the city and the ads in the city are addressing him by name right. they're like Malcolm you need some new soap and I'm like what like we're literally here we're or, yeah we're already there though before this if you hadn't realized i it, mean with just like the facebook controversy right over targeted ads right. are essentially that right yeah just not walking through facebook as an actual physical being right yeah that's the only thing you're saying yeah because it's coming it's co it's on the way if mark zuckerberg has his way and realizes his ultimate fantasy <laughs> We will be able to physically walk through and engage with Facebook the same way we do museums. That's the way I see his view of the world. There is something hugely ironic about a college, please forgive the word, geek, fantasizing about a fake. Having friends? Oh, my bad. As you were. Anyway. You ever notice the one person on Facebook you can't unfriend is Mark Zuckerberg? Is that right? Anyway, as you were. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. So the know guy that. with no friends is now the guy with the most friends. That's anyway. All right, I'm gonna stop interrupting. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh well, this is of course another episode of Manager Damn Money. Today's conversation at hand: bouncing back from financial hardships, which I'm really excited about this show because I feel like this theme literally has led my entire life, <laughs> at least in my mind. Uh, but before we, of course, get into that, uh, the headlines for this week. Younger Americans aren't investing in the stock market. Researchers think this is why. This was a CNBC.com piece um, in May of 2018 by Sean M. Carter. Um, according to a new Gallup poll, 
Less than half of young Americans are putting their money in stocks. Researchers point to a 2008 market crash and the market's latest volatility as the main reasons why. After the crash of 2008, when the Dow Jones fell apart more than 50% from the end of 2007 to mid-March of 2009, Gallup notes, the ranks of those under 35 owning stocks shrank steadily for the next several years. Even a decade after the stockholders lost trillions of dollars, younger, younger Americans are still leery of investing their money in stocks. Um, according to this poll by Gallup, 52% of adults under 35 say they owned a stock in the seven years leading up to the crash. By 2017 and 2018, only 37% did. So it like dropped off significantly. Um, by contrast, an average of 66% of Americans over 35 invested before the crash. And though the share is lower now, it's still at 61%, which is only like a 5% drop off. So like a few people got out of the market, but not like a, as significant a drop as those under the age of 35. Right. The percent of young adults owning stock did reach a high of 43% between 2015 and 2016. But the past two years have seen a drop as the market showed strong growth, but still considerable volatility, including some major declines uh, this year in 2018. Uh, the, stock, the drop in stock ownership since the crash does not vary greatly by gender or education for young people, but there are some differences in income with the greatest change, changes occurring with those with the annual incomes of between thirty and $75,000. So if you're in between thirty dollars and $75,000, there's a likelihood that you pulled most or all of your money out of the stock market. Mm -hmm. um, and about a quarter of those between the age of 18 and 34 rank stocks as rank stocks and mutual funds as their number one long-term investment option, higher than savings accounts, CDs, gold, and bonds. Uh, real estate ranks the highest, with 32% of respondents ranking it as their top choice um, and that's a common misperception and misconception. Returns on residential housing markets are not making anybody rich, says certified financial planner who was quoted in the story. You're barely keeping up with inflation, not to mention all the costs that go along with owning a home or trying to make money off of a home. Uh, so that's some interesting stuff there, Malcolm, that millennials and those who would be considered millennials are, through, at least in this poll, seem to be pulling money out of the stock market or not going into it ever at all in the first place. Right. So I think it cuts two ways. One, our cohort just doesn't trust investing. Okay. So I'm going to distill it down to specifically a 10-year window, not the whole millennial age band, which right. is like 18 to 33 or 35 or right. 6, whatever. So I'm thinking just people who were born in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It cuts two ways. So if you were born in the 80s, 80 to 89, right. that 10-year window, you witness both the 2000 tech bubble Right. burst as well as the 2008 great recession right and in both cases you were old enough if you weren't already an adult to have realized just how bad it was for your parents right and then on the second side of it the 2008 side of it mm -hmm. you physically witnessed it yourself graduating college or high school into that job market that resulted as of as a result of the stock market crashing right so that whole adult life coming of age you had you never once saw the positive sides of investing in the market right. so we refer to 2000 we as in investment professionals in the industry refer to 2000 to 2010 as the lost decade because oh, wow. if you look at the market from its bottom in 2000 to uh, its quote-unquote top in 2010 mm -hmm. the market literally went straight across in a flat line oh wow so on a trend chart that whole decade was, was wasted literally was lost. lost yeah wow. so if you look at then the folks who are born in 1980 to 1989 right. 
there's the lost decade right, that literally. potentially could be not investing at the same time that they should be investing more than anybody else. Right. So it's it's it, it cuts both ways, and I'm honestly a little bit afraid of what it means once we get further out, and you know it has to prove out. Right. Um, because I don't know that a folks are taking it as seriously as they should be, right. and really getting diligent about investing for their future as aggressively as they should. Right. But also b have the means to do anything about it. So it's kind of, you know, if you can't tell by how, like, close I got to the edge of my seat and, like, I'm, I'm, like, yelling into the microphone, it's really that deathly serious in some cases, I think. But we really won't know until On we side. already need to know. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hate to paint such a bleak picture, <laughs> but that is a significant concern of mine. I, I wonder this. Could it be that – is it that millennials and those who are younger than millennials are diverting – what typically might go into a savings situation, I mean, excuse me, an investing situation into savings. Yes. So it's more just they're going. So my friends is I, so my friends who are diligent about their money. Okay. And we have money conversations on a regular enough basis that I know their personal situation. Mm-hmm. They're saving that money instead of investing it into the market. Now, what do they say when you ask them why they're not investing? I don't mess with the market. Like wow. I don't trust that entity that okay. you know that, thing. That, that wizard of oz if you will <laughs> i don't trust that okay is, is um, it is it a, is it a i don't trust it because of the stock market or like and what we experience or is it some other more deep everything think about occupy wall street okay so you're coming out of college every time you turn on the tv i do folks remember are protesting that. against wall street right. wall street is bad bankers are bad uh, investors are bad. Financial advisors are bad. Everybody who would have any influence on getting you into a place where you can earn money on your money right. is bad. Right. Everybody who's associated with the economic downturn that happened is bad. Right. So now you finally get to a place where you have the money in your hands to do anything with it. Right. And everybody you traditionally would go to and the places you would go to to do anything with them, you've been told for 10 years don't mess with them don't mess with them those people in those places are bad (laughs) and so the only other thing you know to do with it is Um, to put it in your savings account and don't touch it and hope for the best and that's kind of the same way that my grandparents who Mm. depression era people manage their money going forward the key difference between my grandparents and our classmates a pension (laughs) man social security that pension those kind of rock bottom, right. uh, uh, bedrock, you know, uh, uh, catch-alls, right. we don't have that luxury. Right. So that's why I say at the same time, folks should be getting even more aggressive about right. investing and saving for their future. They're diverting those funds to things that just don't generate any real return, right. you know, money market savings, CDs, that kind of stuff. Right. That's not going to get you any significant enough return to do what you needed to do 30 years from now. My grandmother, Reverly, bless her heart, is still getting that good California pension. Her and my granddad. It's kind of crazy. They still go on cruises. They're 87, 88, something like that. I can't Uh, get on a cruise to save my life. (laughs) Uh, Another quick question for you, Malcolm, before we go to a music break. Uh, What should people remember in taking a balanced approach to investing, um, like, if someone is that person you described, they got a whole lot of cash sitting stacked and they're just enjoying seeing it stack higher and higher. What should they know or what should they understand about the potential for returns when you talk about um, some real basic investing tenants? Um, probably the the cliche that I'll use that, you know, pardon me for it, but it is applicable. 
Um, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Uh, so a lot of times folks will say, well, I'm going to wait until the market turns. Right. Once it gets bad, then I'll jump in. That's, then and that's I'll... even clients of mine who are paying me to advise them what to do. Uh-huh. And I'm like, we should move this money, put it to work. And they're like, I'm going to wait till the market turns. Right. Well, folks have been saying that literally for the last four or five years, right. and it keeps on trending upward. Right. So that's four or five years of compounding growth that you've missed out on. Right. And every single day that you say, well, it's already going up now. It can't keep going. I'm going to wait till that's missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity. So at some point, you've got to just hold your nose and jump in the pool. You'll find out how cold the water is once you get there. (laughs) It's the same situation. Like You've just got to jump in um, and not worry so much about being in on the exact right day so much as having the right time frame the trajectory right. to allow that money to grow on top of itself right like consistent balanced approach to it yeah um and then too it it, it was kind of like a, a side note but it mentioned the difference between real estate and stocks mm-hmm. or like you know kind of more traditional investments um i think it was making the point that real estate is not necessarily where you need to be starting um and certainly not things that are like more complicated than what basic investing would be but by real estate specifically they're talking about like the the home you own and the value of it and a lot of times you know you see those commercials that i rail against all the time saying (laughs) things like your home is your bank right that stupidity right those are what they're trying to to make the point against to be clear so that's right traditionally the value of your home really just goes up enough to keep pace with inflation but people look at the home that they're buying as an investment, which is counter to that, right. saying, well, we want to buy a house in this place. This is going to be a great investment. Look at it. They got a, a Whole Foods now. So that means that <laughs> property value is going to do X. And, well, uh, are you planning to move once that Whole Foods gets built? Right. And is that why it's an investment for you? Or are you going to raise your family there, right. send your kids to school there, retire there, and all those things? In that which mean case, that it's not an investment. It's not an investment. So right. it really doesn't matter right. what else is happening around uh, at that time, because that house realistically is just going to keep pace with inflation over a 30-year, you know, window. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, we want to remind people you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, you can always pass, catch past episodes of uh, the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course Spotify. Uh, please leave us a review and of course a rating on any of those platforms that help us, us to go up in the ratings. Um, also, if you have a question for Malcolm, he can answer it on his Malcolm's Money Minute. Send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. You can also catch us on social media. My handle's at MYDM with a one on the end. Malcolm, what's yours? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back.
Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. On this episode of MYDM, we're talking about bouncing back from financial hardships. Most of those not from wealthy backgrounds have experienced it. When stuff hits the fan and you have to shell out a large, unexpected amount for an unfortunate but necessary expense, a major fix to your car, a new water heater in your home, a major healthcare expense, or even the death of a family member. Financial setbacks come in all shapes and sizes and never at a convenient time. But it's important we understand what has to happen when they hit and how to bounce back. Malcolm, I feel like the theme music behind my childhood was financial hardship. <laughs> at least that's what it felt like in my that's head. That's really sad. <laughs> it's, it, so really what actually what it was, I had a decent upbringing, mm-hmm. but I think I had a unusual, and I've told the story before, attention to money mm-hmm. and i think i perceived things a certain way through through money at all points and times i always tell the story of me being six us driving past mcdonald's and burger king me thinking to myself i want mcdonald's or burger king but we probably can't afford it why is a six-year-old thinking that yeah i don't know why you were worried about that because so, meanwhile on this side of the country <laughs> i was tearing down on a whopper jr okay so you know <laughs> hopefully i ate enough for the both of us right so i so long story short i don't think it was actual financial hardship it was just like i perceived perceived, perceived everything through that lens um but of course when we're talking about financial hardships some of the basic ones uh that we're really familiar with malcolm housing costs that's a big thing when Mm -hmm. when something happens in your home and you have to fix it this is like my personal favorite and reason why i hate having a car major car repairs um when stuff doesn't work right and you need it to um also this is a major one that's really also oftentimes unavoidable healthcare costs and or new newly diagnosed ongoing health issues requiring hospitalization and or ongoing care um, then another one that we're familiar with every few years here in the United States, some kind of natural disaster, whether it be a hurricane or uh, now in H- Hawaii, the um, volcano, yeah. uh, which is the volcano erupting, which is kind of a new one for us. Um, and then also, of course, as we mentioned, death or sickness in the family. Um, a story that we pulled for this particular episode, eight ways to bounce back from a financial setback. Uh, go bank this was a go baking rates.com piece by Alyssa Kirkham um, from December 2013 so we had to go way back for this one um, the first thing which is really important Malcolm you have to calm your emotions and stay smart um, the stress that results from financial setbacks can lead individuals to make foolish mistakes with their money setbacks often leave us reeling since they're often unexpected and involve high emotions and when emotions go up intelligence goes down Um, and this is something that robert t kiyosaki the author of rich dad poor dad has apparently said um so that is something that's like number one like when something crazy happens you feel it yeah and i know for me my mind goes immediately to like what is this gonna cost or what is this situation gonna cost me um which is definitely an interesting thing uh another piece that the piece but it's usually not as bad as you think it usually isn't. Your it's, first reaction in that moment is yeah. usually far worse than what it actually turns out to be. Unless it's like the death or like a, a major sickness that hits. It's usually just like, okay, got to breathe. Got to come at this logically. After, of course, you can have your reaction, as some people would say. Um, Which but, is kind of my threshold for what I actually like get upset about. Mm-hmm. So my threshold is, did it kill me? Okay. 
and after which, if the answer is yes, then I don't care anyway. <laughs> or did it cost me any significant money? Right. And if the answer is no, then I don't really care. Right, right. So those two are the only things that I allow myself to really get upset about. Mm-hmm. And one of them, like I said, kind of takes care of itself. So right. it's really just one the subna- <laughs> the, the s- substantial financial setback that right. I'm going to care about. Um, but then even then, when you look at it for what it is, right. it's usually not as big as you think it is initially in that moment. That's absolutely true. Uh, another thing that the story reminds us to do, adopt a problem-solving mentality. When faced with financial hardship, savvy individuals face their problems head-on. Um, Kyle Taylor, founder of a popular personal finance blog, The Penny Hoarder, and someone who I've actually met, um, when going through a financial setback, it's important to develop a problem solver mentality. After all, setbacks are merely a setup for a comeback. Um, create and write down a plan. That's another thing, which is kind of like a big deal. Uh, while adopting a positive forward thinking attitude is essential, individuals must also create a specific plan to deal with their new circumstances. When crafting your plan, it has to aim to modify your spending behavior and use extra money to tackle the financial setback that, we're, that you're addressing or dealing with. Um, then another one, this is an interesting one, Malcolm, and it can come in all kinds of forms. Get a money mentor. When you're in the middle of a monetary crisis, it can feel like there's no way out. To combat feelings of hopelessness, money experts or even just a money friend can recommend seeking out people who have been in situations like yours or ones that are worse and determine how they dug themselves out of the hole. So I really like that one. You like that one? Because there's really nothing new under the sun anyway. Sure. So realistically, all you need is a person who's older than you, right. who then more than likely has been close enough to the situation that you're going through, whether they saw it firsthand right. or their best friend or spouse or whatever, right. saw it and they know what to do then. Right. You really just need to talk to somebody who's older than you, who's been around long enough to see this thing you're going through happen. Right which is so easy to find, right? There's so many people older than us walking around everywhere. Indeed, indeed. Um, Also, another item, start saving right away. While finances may be tight right now, that doesn't mean you should abandon important money habits like saving. Even in the midst of a financial crisis, business experts recommend that saving habits be maintained, um, which is a good one to remember because, you know, you might get your focus on some other things. Saving is really important. It helps you stay stable um, mentally and then also, like, logistically. Um, then of course give yourself a raise and what they mean by that is if you need to secure some extra money to tackle a big financial issue you might be able to find it by lowering your expenses and that's always something that they suggest when we talk about like cutting cable and like you know taking the bus and those kinds of things (laughs) there's a certain kind of sacrifice that comes with it but it can help you keep more money in your pockets Um, and then of course uh, another one interesting one which I thought was interesting because it's on this list keep your credit score on track Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that can go off the rails if you're not paying attention and you're dealing with some financial crisis. Um, while a financial crisis can feel overwhelming, money experts recommend keeping credit your credit on track. Um, and if you took a hit on a credit card balance, be aggressive on paying it down like as soon as possible. Um, that I mean, that is like huge because yeah. kind of the screwed up way that credit works is banks want to lend money to people who don't need it. Right. So if you're a person who can prove you don't need the money, the bank will give you as much as you want. <laughs> and if you're a person who actually needs the money or they even get a whiff of desperation, right. then they don't want to lend it to you. Right. So in that moment of crisis that you're talking about, if you've already kind of played it closer to the edge and have gotten to that point where you're on a watch list, just to, I'm not 
don't mean literally, but just, you know, you're on the radar, uh, um, then you're a lot less likely to be able to solve that problem right. by borrowing money through traditional means. Absolutely. And, uh, all, all, all the more reminds us that it's important to have an emergency fund for yeah. things when things go wrong. Do you remember your first major, like, financial setback slash hardship? Kind of like what you're, what, the way you teed it up. I, I've had several. Okay. Um, what was the one that you remember? That the one that I remember the, the worst uh-huh. that kind of, I, I, fortunately, I, like you said, could kind of step back, relax, relate, release, and then go, all right, relax, here's relate, how I'm going to do this. Uh-huh. Um, when I was in college, I had a car. I was driving a Honda Accord, and... I'm driving home from class one day the way I normally do, and all of a sudden the car starts jerking, transmission's gone. Oh, wow. And a transmission could cost you anywhere from, you know, $1,000 to $4,000, depending on whether they had to just repair a couple pieces or rebuild the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for me, it was the latter. They had to rebuild (laughs) the entire thing, Uh and I had like $7, you know, to my name or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it wasn't (laughs) $4,000. So I ultimately ended up having to open up a credit card to take care of the transmission rebuild, which meant that I then threw myself, I don't know what it was, let's call it $3,000 into debt immediately at 15 or whatever percent that typically is credit card rates in, I don't know, this was probably 2006, seven. So fortunately, to your point earlier, I had a high enough credit score that I could get a credit card that had enough eligible you know line of credit available immediately that i could take care of the repair right but that wasn't really the ideal situation considering i was still paying that thing off after i graduated college um just that repair alone so you know i did not have the means to handle it in a in a tight space fiscally responsible kind of way that i at this side of the table would recommend to me at that time right but fortunately at least I had the means to get the card to do what I needed, you know, that kind of thing. What comes to mind for me, also college, also having to do with a car, because I think that's for everybody. Um, I got hit by a drunk driver in college, and we, everybody in the car was fine. But it was one of those things where I learned the value of good insurance because hmm. I had my mom's like $50 insurance from California. Okay. And they were basically like, oh, you're good. Okay, we good. And then I never really heard from them again. <laughs> Um, but then, like, it, because we were we were hit by a drunk driver, I ended up having to get a lawyer to pressure the insurance company to give me, like, an appropriate settlement. Wow. And so it was one of those things where it was, like, it was a headache at the time, but mm-hmm. I learned the lesson of how all that kind of stuff works um, to the point where, like, I had one lady from his insurance company, and she was real nice. She gave my friends money, and then it was my turn to talk to her. And they switched her out on me. And they gave me some mm. other person who was, like, mean and surly and, like, I'm not going to give you anything. To play the good cop, you bad cop take this $800 if you want to or you're not going to get anything. Wow. Um, so I went through the whole process. So we, that Insurance was, is such an right. interesting business. Indeed it is. So so I um, uh, went the whole summer not having been compensated. Wow. And then, like, had, had to go through the process of getting a lawyer that was in the um, area that I was going to school at Hampton. Ended up getting like something like a twelve thousand dollar check or something like that. As a result, you know, the lawyer took a portion of it. I think, like, a, it wasn't a lo- whole lot, but it was a good amount. Um, so that was like an experience that had to do with like a big, like, financial thing. And then I got 
my Honda Prelude immediately after that. That right there is why I tend to over-insure everything. Right. Like, I've got more insurance than I probably need. Right. Just, and, to, be sh- just to be safe. Yeah. Just because I don't want any, right. you know, one-off right. scenario. Before, before we go to break real quick, um, do you talk to clients about recovering from financial setbacks? Yes and no. Um, fortunately, like at the level that I tend to uh, manage assets, my mm-hmm. clients, the conversation is more so what pool of money does it make the most sense to draw this from and how much of an impact is that going to have on what I've been trying to do? Mm-hmm. Not so much, you know, I'm screwed for lack of a better term. <laughs> like, what do I do? Like, right. what, like I was with my transmission. Right. Um, but on the flip side, so I do periodically have conversations like this talk to groups of college students and one of the things that I always talk to them about I share that story with them right and then I tell them my challenge on the flip side to them is to actually sit down and game plan out how would you tackle an immediate $2,000 need right so if you needed $2,000 tomorrow and you couldn't wait what would you do and actually sit down and figure that out and and not so much wait till you're in the throes of it and then have to make a knee-jerk reaction. But if that is, you know, I would use that for my credit card to take care of it, well, then you can never touch that $2,000 that's available on your credit card. Or if I would ask my mom and dad for it, I want to ask them today (laughs) what they would do if you were in that scenario because you might find you don't like the answer. Right. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, whatever your your realistic answer to that question would be, you need to know it now while you have the opportunity to do something about it proactively. Um, And so that's one that I always will give to to folks in that seat because – in college, you, you have no real financial resources. Nobody wants to lend you anything because you don't have any income. You're just getting it from everywhere. Right. So that's the place that I think you're more susceptible to just starting off on the wrong foot. So that's some good advice. Plan for something to go wrong. Um, have a plan for when something does go wrong. And, of course, uh, make sure you deal with the emotional part of the issue first so you can get that off your plate and then deal with the logistics of it. And that would just be my uh, suggestion to you. Uh, we want to remind you you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, today's conversation at hand is bouncing back from a financial hardship. Uh, we're going to take a quick music break, but before we do, uh, I want to remind you you can always catch past episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Remember, leave us a review and give us a rating on any of those platforms. That helps us go up in the ratings and helps more people find our show. Of course, if you have a question or you want to send Malcolm a question for him to answer on his Malcolm's Money Minute, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. You can also find us on social media, on the gram, and on Twitter, at MYDM is mine. What's yours, Malcolm? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. When we come back after this music break, we have Malcolm's Money Minute. We will be right back.
I have a 401k via my job, which I give 10% to after taxes. I was thinking of opening and funding an IRA as well. I have two questions for you. What would be the benefits of opening an IRA? And or would it be beneficial or more beneficial just to raise my current 401k contributions? Signed, Justin D. So, Justin, uh, I'm going to assume that you're talking about uh, a Roth 401k since you use the term after tax dollars. Um, so in this case, if you're contributing 10%, you've probably already gotten the maximum match that your company is going to be willing to give you. So you've satisfied that. Good for you. Um, and then separately from that, if you're talking about should you be contributing to a traditional 401k, he didn't specify, so I'm just going to generalize here. Um, in addition to the Roth 401k that you're using with those after-tax dollars, the difference I've kind of already alluded to is going to be the tax treatment of those dollars. So you get a tax deduction on one hand, no tax deduction on the other hand. The difference is when you go to pull those funds out later on down the road as an old man, you don't pay taxes on the Roth side, you do pay taxes on the traditional side. So it's kind of just a matter of preference of whether you'd rather pay the taxes today versus down the road. Um, but separately from that, where you asked the question about being beneficial to raise your 401k contributions, you would, again, get that same tax deduction, assuming it's a traditional 401k now that we're talking about, so pre-tax dollars going in. Um, however, if it is a Roth 401k contribution you're making, you probably wouldn't see much more additional benefit versus throwing it into a Roth IRA. So the flexibility that you would then get from having a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA might be that added benefit that you're looking for. Hopefully that helps. And of course, if you have questions, send them to info at managerdamnmoney.com and we will answer them here on the show. Um, today's conversation at hand bouncing back from financial hardships um author motivational speaker and dc dmv native if i'm not mistaken willie jolly says a setback is a setup for a comeback so how do you come back for a financial setback that's what we're covering on this episode um another story we pulled malcolm uh, bouncing back from bankruptcy sooner than you think TheStreet.com had this piece in May of 2017 uh, by Brian O'Connell. Um, so the, the article read that one additional financial hardship we've not mentioned is one we often place a lot of shame on people for. Even our current president is familiar with bankruptcy. <laughs> um, bankruptcy afflicts over a million Americans on a yearly basis and going under financially is widely viewed as a nightmare scenario. More than 40% of Americans have a credit score of over 640 one year after filing for bankruptcy, 65% of bankrupt, Amer bankrupt Americans see the same score at least three years after bankruptcy. I mean, this is from a, a Lending Tree report. Um, that same study found that 43% of people with a bankruptcy on their credit have a credit score of 640 or higher within a year of the bankruptcy, which is actually pretty soon. Um, and within two years of the bankruptcy, 65% have a credit score of 640 or above. Um, and in listed form, Katie Ross, an education manager at the American Consumer Credit Counseling, offers her step-by-step -step program to get back on firm footing after bankruptcy. Um, one of the items that's listed is create a budget and stick to it. Um, another item is set SMART goals. And a SMART goal, Malcolm, is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. 
and also uh, start up or re up on your emergency fund. Um, and of course, focus and finish. And the reason why we pulled this bankruptcy story because that is like the ma most major financial hit you can like kind of take, at mm -hmm. least in the context of how we do things here in the United States. Um, and so if you can bounce back from that and within a year have a 640 credit score, which is pretty decent, especially for somebody who has a bankruptcy on the record, um, then anyone can kind of get back on their feet or at least, you know, get, work their credit back into good shape and also kind of get your financial footing back together. Yeah. So uh, to put it in context, that 640 you're talking about is mm -hmm. like right in the middle of the road. Right. Which I think is probably the reason they chose to harp on that number specifically throughout the article. Mm -hmm. um, so to say, you know, you could go through the seven year period of right. this stays on your credit file, follows you like a scarlet letter. And then at the end of year seven, a year later, you could be kind of middle of the pack like the rest of, you know, I don't know what percentage of America is at a 640, but, you know, right. let's call it. 50% of the country or whatever at middle of the road status mm -hmm. is actually saying something. So I get the point that they're making, right. but it's also really important to add for context just how hard it is to qualify for and get approved for bankruptcy. Right. right? So you have to actually go before a bankruptcy judge right. and either you or your and or your attorney make a case for why you are so financially hard up for cash, to, for lack of a better way to say it that you can't pay back any of these uh, debts that are your own. Right. So it's not like you just say, all right, I'm filing for bankruptcy, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> I, I give up, I and quit. Then a, and then a year later you got a 640 credit. Right, you actually have to be able to make a case for right. why you deserve to go through this process right. that kind of wipes you of all of you know these, these right. debts. So, uh, and I don't know what the percentages are of people that go into bankruptcy court and come out victorious, right. but it's not as high as people probably think it is. Sure, sure. And I feel compelled for some reason to remind people that student loans can't be put into bankruptcy. That's not, a good not, not thing to remind people. Yeah, it's important to remember that. So don't go bankrupt because you have student loans. It won't work. Um, other things to remember when working to bounce back from financial hardships, uh, deal with the emotions first, which we kind of mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, large unexpected expenses can be overwhelming, especially in emotional life moments. Um, so remember that you have to deal with the emotional part first because that's the thing that you know is gonna be the thing that determines what your attitude is gonna be going forward mm -hmm. um also uh, life-changing news requires your mental and emotional health um if a loved one has passed or lost a job be sure to address acknowledge and share your feelings about it with someone who cares this can help you offload the stress when making when coming back to addressing your financial situation and making a decision about your next step. So those two are really just about like mental focus and mental health and emotional health. I get that. Having that support system to kind of just check in with Absolutely. and say, you know, I didn't make any progress this week or this month, but it didn't get worse. Yeah. Maybe that even alone sometimes is enough to say like, you know, I'm doing something. And, and it also serves as an opportunity for you to recommit and re-acknowledge the value that you placed on, uh, you know, getting back to a, a even level. Um, another element that you need to remember, you have to find a new level of discipline when bouncing back from financial hardship. Um, discipline is the single most important element to any financial plan, but especially when trying to recover from a major, major hit. Recognize and accept you can't have it all, especially in a moment like this, Malcolm. You gotta hunker down and do the hard work sacrifice the 
movie trips, the guacamole at Chipotle. Those are the easy ones. <laughs> it's sacrifice the nice car and yeah. sacrifice, you know, the things that you really want that are hard to give up. Right. But to the point you were making, that I get that question every once in a while. Folks okay. are like, well, what do you do if you find yourself already buried under this mountain of debt? Uh-huh. And the easy answer is the most difficult thing to do, which is stop digging. Right. Like immediately you have to just stop digging. Right. And it hurts. Put your shovel it, down. It, it, right. You've already dug yourself into this hole, mm-hmm. and you probably are now in a prog- process where constantly, as soon as you're paying it off, you're using it again. Right. And so you're digging and digging, and, you know. Right. And so it's, it's important to first and foremost just stop digging yeah. like stop the bleeding you know so to speak right. um which is the f- most important but most difficult part of the whole thing so for example when i graduated from college i had a significant amount of credit card debt for situations like i paid for books i right. paid for tuition on credit cards a couple of t- summer school tuition a couple of times right i told you i bought a whole transmission on a credit card things like that so i actually when i first graduated moved back to my folks house didn't go get you know an apartment that had significant rent turned off all my credit cards and like made a committed effort to pay them right so i didn't get to go on the trips to wherever that people pre-instagram were <laughs> looking like they were having did fun we do that pre-instagram what? i don't know we had facebook but it was still different <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you people were going on those trips okay those trips were happening around me without you without me okay. those trips were happening but fortunately you know 12 months, 13 months, something like that later, I'm done paying off those credit cards. Life can resume as normal. I'm able to move out on my own and feel like, you know, a regular adult, like, you know, people tell you you're supposed to be and whatever. But first and foremost, I had to stop the bleeding. Like, I couldn't do anything until, you know, I actually made that commitment. So it it sucks. It hurts. But you've got to make that commitment to just stop digging. Absolutely. Another one that uh, we wanted to mention, uh, and it kind of was in the one above, but share your goals and be held accountable. So much of what is about money is psychological, and that's why it's important in a financial hardship to address the psychological elements. Um, Having a partner of some kind in meeting your goals can be an incredible motivator in meeting your marks for your finances. Get in partnership with a friend or loved one to meet your next financial goals, which is, as we've said, it's really important to be able to it's really hard when you're sitting in a dark room thinking about your financial problems by yourself. Like any other problem. Yeah, yeah right, right, solve, right, right. If right, you're right. a gambling addict or Absolutely. alcoholic or whatever, sitting in a room by yourself it's probably like, is not the answer. Not the thing to do. So share the, share the problem with people. Share it with someone who you trust. Um, and they can help you through it, help you see it through a different lens, a different perspective. Um, and, of course, as mentioned, said, Malcolm mentioned, um, cut the fat. You gotta cut out everything that you don't need. Stop digging, put your shovel down. Um, and then lastly, expect setbacks and prepare beforehand. Um, dads, th- this is a funny story. When I went to college, my dad used to always say, when I was like in high school, just like casually, it's always something. <laughs> and then I went to Hampton University and I met Nate. He was like, wow, that's funny. My dad said that. And Nate was from New Jersey. So I was like, so that's just something dad said. That's, that's everybody's dad. Everybody's, everybody's dad says it's always something. And knowing it's always going to be something, the best thing you can do, like you said, Malcolm, uh, ask your parents or ask you know yourself, what's my plan if something goes wrong? How can I plan for that today without that issue in front of me at this very moment? That impossible sounding statement of expect the unexpected. Indeed. That's essentially, you know, a long. This episode has been a long, drawn-out way right. of saying expect the unexpected and plan and prepare for it. Yeah, well, um, that too. 
So it, it's interesting. So once someone recovers, because thankfully, you know, and it sounds like from financial crises that you had in college, and I know ones that I've had, I've been able to mostly recover, save for my student loans. Um, <laughs> once you recover from a financial crisis, how, you know, what's the next step? Like you're back on your feet, you know, you, you feel good because you kind of moved past that moment. What's like, okay, now what do I do? So anyone who, you know, has experienced this, pardon the, uh, the comparison, I don't mean to make light of the situation that I'm about to compare it to, but it's the most direct comparison I can think of. Kind of like an addict leaving rehab, Right. you need to be prepared and plan for what are you going to do when you get out of here. Right. So before you even, you know, get back into, you know, regular society, right. you need to have already had a plan for when I get out there, right. here's what I'm going to do the next day. Right. And then the next day right. and then the day after and so right. on and so on. I think it's the exact same thing. Right. Like even in the middle of your bankruptcy storm, you should be thinking about and envisioning and planning for when I get through this bankruptcy, here's what I'm going to do differently. Right. Here are the things that are going to help keep me planning on solid ground. Right. And I think that helps kind of give you something to work toward. And then also, once you get there, keep you on the right side of right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and with that, uh, we will close this episode of uh, Bouncing Back from a Financial Hardship. But I want to remind you, you can always catch past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and now Spotify. Please give us a rating and leave us a review on any of those. That helps more people catch our show. If you have a question for Malcolm or for us as a show or want us to do a particular topic, send it to us at info at managerdamnmoney.com. And of course, you can catch us on social media. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my handle is at MYDM1. What is yours, Malcolm? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash manage your damn money. Uh, thanks to our partners here at Montgomery Community Media for yet another amazing show. Um, until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. They say that money made the world go round.